In this episode, I speak again with Tim Canty. Do you remember him? And this time we will speak about the practice of yoga in the Western world. Hello, yogi. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Aiko, and on this show we explore ways to put spiritual theory into sustainable practice. So welcome again, Tim Canty, to this show. I'm super happy you're here again. Oh, thanks. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I wanted to discuss the, this quote from Carl Jung that came across um, some, some weeks ago. And it made me think of you because I think these words will spark a response from you that will be helpful to modern yoga practitioners. I'm sure that you, you will both probably agree and disagree with the statement, but uh, let's see. So this word was spoken in 1936, so 85 years ago from Carl Jung. I will now read his statement. He's saying, my criticism is directed solely against the application of yoga to the peoples of the West. The spiritual development of the West has been along entirely different lines from that of the East and has therefore produced conditions which are the most unfavorable soil one can think of for the application of yoga. Western civilization is scarcely a thousand years old and must first of all free itself from its barbarous one-sidedness. This means, above all, deeper insight into the nature of man. But no insight is gained by repressing and controlling the unconscious, and least of all, by imitating methods which have grown up under totally different psychological conditions. In the course of the centuries, the West will produce its own yoga. So, <laughs> I think are very strong words and very impressive to me. And um, I would like to know what you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we're just going to think about it out loud. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, right away, I get what you mean by, oh, I think you'll agree and disagree. Mm. Um, so I definitely agree and disagree. Uh, so that's excellent ground for a conversation. Yeah. But, um, you know, I can't uh, presume to propose a, a thesis response to this uh, vision of Carl Jung, but we can, like I said, just think out loud about it and kind of start walking a collective self-reflection. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, I'm not, um, I appreciate Carl Jung quite a lot. Um, I felt really inspired by him and his work, particularly his, his mystical writings of his mm -hmm. personal process. You know, there's a book that's now famous as the Red Book um, that he forbid, yeah. yeah, he forbid it to be published during his lifetime. Um, and it mm -hmm. came out decades and decades and decades after he had died. Um, his personal journal uh, mm -hmm. of himself unmasked because he was, you know, some people they kind of see Carl Jung as this sort of prophet for the Western psyche because he was able not just to research uh, different 
mythological, we'll say mythology, you know, the, the image language of different sacred cultures around the world. He couldn't just, he didn't just research it uh, through the lens of the Western superiority, but he really was able mm. to, to subjectively appreciate, you know, it's like, can you speak different languages? Can you speak French and Italian and, and some Latin? And he could speak yeah. with these things, you know, which is very different from analyzing them from the language of the Western mind. Mm. But then he would step forward and he would speak in the Western language. He was speaking to the Western world, to the evolving, like adolescent collective Western psyche. He was speaking mm. to it in its own language. So he was very expert um, to personally have the liberalness of mind, you know, the uh, flexibility of mind to subjectively access things outside of the language of the culture, the like paradigm, uh, mm. also the mysticism of the culture he was born in. He was able to go outside of that and really subjectively grasp at a certain level um, what these other mystical cultures are talking about. And then he could make that relevant and translate it to the Western mind. So he's a very interesting person in that way. That I think he was capable of things that he knew most of his clan, the Western humanity, were not capable of as in general. I think yeah. some individuals, but his level of kind of, if you say spiritual maturity, was uncommon. And um, he was speaking in a way to children. And, um, you know, some things are true. You know, when you're in school and you're in second grade and you start learning math, uh, well, first grade you'll learn like addition and subtraction, and then second grade you'll learn multiplication, and eventually you start learning division and fractions. Yeah. Division. So when you're first learning division, the teacher will say, okay, class, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Which of these numbers that I've written on the board is divisible by two? To mm. see if you get the concept of division. And the kids who know the, what she's asking, they'll say, oh, I know it, two, four, six, eight, <laughs> ten. And she's like, very good. And she puts a gold star on his <laughs> paper. And, you know, you, that was the right answer in second grade. But in third grade, he finds out that all of those numbers are divisible by two because mm -hmm. you start getting fractions. So I think what Carl Jung is saying, just my like opening comments, you know, to what you've raised, what he's saying here about... Um, the inappropriateness of Western persons taking up Eastern yoga. Um, mm. I think this is like the second grade version. You know, he's saying there's so much room for repressing the unconscious and escapism and exacerbating the division between the ego and the shadow, like exacerbating the psychic conflict that you're already in as a conditioned soul. Mm. You know, his whole philosophy was that the purpose of human life is to individuate and integrate the shadow it's like mommy and daddy they come together and they create a child well your daylight ego and your night shadow if they would actually reconcile together they would produce your individuality the reconciliation yeah. of those two your dark and light would produce you the real you and he's like that's the purpose of human life is to individuate and I think what he's first, the first layer of what he's saying in his like, what he says, my only criticism about it is how it's applied in the West or would be applied as a theory. This is before it even really started happening, yoga in the West so much. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I just see way too much opportunity for 
exacerbating the psychic division that goes against the purpose of human life, which is individuation. There's way too much room to escape into a fantasy that you just drop all your Western baggage and all the archetypes that you're born into and start, you know, playing like cosplay, you know, cosplay. Yeah. yeah. You just dress up like you're an Indian, like, you know, like you're something that you're not. Yeah. And I've, he's definitely was wise enough and sensitive enough to know that it's, you're not the body. He's the psyche mm -hmm. in Greek means the soul. So he's like a soulist. A psychologist is a soulist. You know, his level of integrity with psychology was, this is about the being, the person. So he's definitely not saying like, you're the body and don't pretend to be of a race that you're not or a culture that you're not. Mm -hmm. I think he's saying like, don't pretend to put on a, another mask on top of your mask. I think that's what I feel is his preliminary yeah. warning here. So there are many important points in what he's writing here, what he's saying here, but the main two things I see is Young's assessment that the West is spiritually unfavorable soil for yoga practice, but that in time the West will produce its own yoga. So what do you think about it? What do you think he, he could see at that time that the West didn't have what was unfavorable for mm. yoga because mm -hmm. you know the philosophy and the practice of yoga very very nice so what do you think he meant by that i mean anyone who has has studied yoga any school of yoga hatha yoga bhakti yoga even like advaita vedanta i bet mm. anybody who has studied those things seriously who's felt a calling to um spend years of their life studying and practicing those ideals and concepts. I think anybody who has practiced any form of yoga seriously will mm. feel a difference when they do so in India. You can yeah. feel the soil, you know, like for bhakti yogi to practice yoga um, while immersed, bhakti yoga while immersed up to the heart in the Ganga mm. is very different from trying to scrape together some devotional meditation while living in your Uh, New York City apartment. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And of course, wherever you are, like that's the principle of the true mystic. It's like you will make it work for you. You know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You know, like you, <laughs> you make it work for you. If you really want it, mm. you'll be able to transmute what the ingredients you have. You'll be able to, by the the brilliance of your um, desire for higher consciousness, you'll be able to work with whatever life gives you, wherever you are. But still, if you've done it sincerely, you will feel the difference in India. You know? Yeah. There's a reason that there, you know, serious yoga teachers will go to get, even Hatha yoga teachers will go to get training in, in India. Mm. It's just more favorable soil for many reasons. Um, but without even getting into the reasons why, analyzing why it's more favorable, it's just immediately evident that there's a different kind of energy um, in the culture, in the people, in the soil. You know, thousands of years of bare feet of sadhus who are immersed in the principles of yoga. They put bare feet over every inch of India, probably. And the dust and the earth and that land. You know, this is a really interesting thing, actually, what's coming up. Is the problem with colonization, mm. you know, if I can go on a little tangent, if we have time, Not I'll sure. just go ahead and tell a little story. So I don't want to break anybody's appreciation for Socrates or Plato. But I want to say something that's just one angle of vision. There's a writer called Peter Kingsley, and he wrote a book called um, In the Dark Places of Wisdom. Mm. 
which wisdom is Sophia, which comes from Persephone, you know, the, the goddess of the underworld. Yeah. So he traces out, uh, Peter Kingsley traces out in his book, um, the origins of Western thought, Western philosophy, not just, it used to be a serious thing, Western philosophy, but now there's like Western philosophy and just like, what is the West's like ethical relationship with life, which is pretty polluting and exploiting and unsustainable, self-destructive. It's sick. And it's, you know, a lot of people in every generation have thought, yeah, the end is nigh, but our generation has like, (laughs) you know, the science is also holding a sign on the street. The end is nigh, you know, things are heating up, so to speak. And um, because of a sick philosophy of life, and Peter Kingsley traces out, um, this is before Plato and Socrates, before them, that actually Western thought, Greek philosophy, was much more of a a shamanic process. Hmm. And he speaks a lot about Parmenides, if I'm saying it correctly. Parmenides was a philosopher just prior, in the like parampara, and at the time of Parmenides and in the culture of his age of philosophers, there would be, for example, like a, a temple of Apollo, the masculine sun god of clarity and light, you know, mm-hmm. knowledge and uh, intellect, the, the true human intellect, radiant at its best. And yeah. next to the temple of Apollo, there'd be a hole in the ground, mm-hmm. you know, like a yin-yang. Above the earth is a masculine yang sun temple and below the earth was like mm-hmm. an inversion. There would be like a kiva, you know, the Hopi, the Navajo, this kiva is like a a temple in the ground. It's a hole in the ground. And inside there, um, a philosopher, uh, someone who has philos for Sophia, who's basically a devotee of wisdom, the goddess of wisdom. So like a Saraswati Bhakta, Mm. someone who's a devotee of the goddess of wisdom the personification of wisdom would enter into that hole and fast in what they called incubate for four days or so, much like a, like a native American vision quest. You go and you fast and you wait for uh, a vision to come and give you a medicine for your people. So the philosophers would go into the ground, you know, after being duly initiated in mystical ways and prepared psychologically and spiritually, they were transmissions, you know, initiatic transmissions to prepare a person and a qualified person who also has the vocation or is called to be consecrated to Devi, to the goddess of the below, of the mysteries, the dark places of wisdom means like wisdom grows out of mystery. It doesn't grow out of just parroting what you've heard or what other traditions or teachers have said. Hmm. That's knowledge. But wisdom grows out of the darkness of facing mystery and discovering something there. So the initiated philosopher would enter into that place in a mood of devotion and wait, just laying still for the goddess to come, for Sophia, for Persephone, the goddess of the underworld, the personified darkness of the mystery, Hmm. to come and teach him what real wisdom is. (laughs) And when he came out of that hole, a few days later, he would know not just uh, principles of thought, like what to talk about in the next discourse with the other, you know, intellectualists. Oh, this is this interesting thought that came up. Let's sit around in our armchairs and discuss this thought. No, what he would come out with was nature's design. Nature, Devi nature underneath would mm-hmm. teach him the roots of understanding and on harmony. And he would come out with knowledge of medicine for one thing. So philosophers were the healers because mm-hmm. nature herself, her wisdom aspect was teaching them 
the order of things and how to correct disorder so that health manifests. And not just physical health, but social health. They were also the lawmakers. They would come out and they would organize society, um, you know, like Varnashram system, of giving everybody according to their nature engagement in what they're going to be attracted to and good at, where they can contribute in a symbiotic um, human environment. It's, it's based on the principles of nature. So the philosophers were actually healers and social visionaries originally. They weren't just sitting around and talking about like, what is rhetoric? You know, what is a real question? What is a real answer? No, they were going and they were asking the divine feminine, the mystery personified as their guru, please teach us. And they were building society, Greek society, following the, like under the invisible queen. So she was actually in charge. And so what happens is that at the time of Socrates and Plato, there was an aristocracy arises. And I'm almost done with this long tangent. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just, I really like it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's worth it to take a little time because mm -hmm. it'll give some background, I think, to Jung's yeah. thoughts and feelings too um, about the soil, the soil mm -hmm. of the West. So about this time, after Parmenides, he's the last in the line that was holding the integrity of this shamanic That's the origins of like real Western philosophy was sun, uh, you know, the upper world and the underworld, the union, the polarity of masculine and feminine and revering the, the earth and nature and the mystery and the feminine as guru, not doing anything without her guidance. They're not doing anything without asking her first. Like, really, that's the ethic that may be surprising for Westerners because we think of like the pagans you know, or the Hindus or the natives who all have their like many gods and things and like the Western mind is more advanced. But the roots of Western mind were the same thing. The roots of the yeah. Western mind were inquiring of the gods. You know, that's where it starts. But then an aristocracy started arising in Athens. You know, a small group, what we call nowadays the 1%, you know. These guys who were born into wealth Uh, inheriting greater and greater wealth. They came together and they wanted to uh, maximize their egocentric benefit. And they saw that there was a problem with this philosophy that was being transmitted down from Parmenides, which is that we don't do anything without asking mother first. Hmm. And she was giving perfect principles that she's given to all cultures, all shamanic cultures and um, integral, holistic, spiritual cultures of all time. She has always allowed for permaculture. Permaculture isn't just farming. Permaculture is a culture that will last uh, for thousands of years, like yeah. indigenous cultures and Vedic culture, because they're sustainable. And mm -hmm. these guys, this aristocracy arose, and they just wanted to capitalize. So they created something called democracy, which is instead of having a qualified, consecrated bhakta of Saraswati, of Sophia, instead of having someone who has given their heart, sacrificed their independence, as a student and a, you know, a love slave to the feet of the goddess, instead of that, going through all the labor to raise people like that who can actually converse with her, let's just us sit around in a circle and talk about among ourselves, the new authority is now the circle. It's not the goddess anymore. It's not wisdom herself. It's mm. us. Let's talk as a circle and decide what's best. And so it's democracy. Let's vote. But who's having that democracy is the guys who all have... Um, like economic gain. And so they stopped consulting. Yeah. They stopped putting themselves at the feet of Devi. They stopped caring about her being the leader. 
and they started humble. Right. Well, they cut the masculine from the feminine. They just took the intellect part because if you take the intellect part apart, then you can exploit the feminine. You can exploit the earth. You can exploit the lands. You can exploit the people. Because Devi, mother, she serves all the children. That means all human beings of all classes, of all races, all beings of all species, and all lands and rivers and everything. Like Mother Nature, Mother Wisdom. As mother, she's the best servant. She feeds everyone. So someone who follows her, their heart will be a servant to all life. And someone who separates her, they just buried her, basically. They closed yeah. the hole in the ground. Nobody's going down there to fast and put themselves in any inconvenience on behalf of asking her opinion, who cares? We want to get more rich and we don't care about the other classes of people. We don't care about society being harmonious and aligned with nature. We don't care about, you know, starting to create bigger minds and exploit the earth. And slowly that evolves or devolves into gross pollution to the point that it will kill the species, the human species would speak of thousands of other species. Yeah. And what it is, is that you've separated the polarity of life, the masculine and feminine. You denied the feminine and merge in the masculine. Well, we're the rich men. So we're going to merge with the masculine principle of intellect without the feminine wisdom and just exploit. They're exploiting the feminine, but they're just as much exploiting the masculine. They're exploiting the intellect. And from that rift, that divorce of masculine and feminine, of heaven and earth, from that moment, those guys, the democratic mind, they think that they're evolving now and that Western society is expanding. But all that they created was colonialism, where you can get on a ship and you can sail across the ocean to a sacred land like the sacred valley of Peru, to the Andes or something, where people have this exquisite heaven and earth culture. And they don't yeah. care at all about what that land, the soil of that land has spoken about spirit to those people. They come with their book from their land and they're bulldozing, you know, paving over all the identity of the feminine of all the lands and of all the cultures that are diverse of all the different lands. All the different sacred traditions are just paved over. And like Roman Christianity, for yeah. example, just paves over everything because they don't care about the feminine. They don't care about the people who are born from these lands. They don't care about the sacred vision that was born from this land, the voice of this land. They don't care about the voice of Devi. Mm -hmm. And they don't care, therefore, about her children. Yeah. And so this is how death spreads like a cancer around the world, by cutting off, cutting father and mother apart. That's super sad. And I was just watching with uh, Shamananda, my husband, uh, the documentary Seaspiracy. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, that's so terribly sad, like, can't we just work together with mother nature like we are walking on mother nature you know it's just we are just surrounded we live because of mother nature and we are just destroying it for the sake of what fame money everyone's gonna die you know then what you what you leave to your to your kids to your niece and nephews it's just so bad so it's it's very very thoughtful what you just said and shared, you know, because anyway, there are people like Native Americans or other, also here in Sweden, there are some Native, I don't remember how they called, but they also live actually with, with Sami. I think so. I'm not sure. I can't say that. But um, they live in the very north and, um, and they li really live with Mother Nature. It's just 
it's so beautiful. It's so fascinating to me. Mm. I think we, we have so much to learn from them. So would you say that young is proven right, wrong, or something in between? And do you think we can be part of producing our own yoga now in the West? What do you think about it? Well, I mean, I respect Jung more than as a psychotherapist. Mm. I really think he's one of the best spiritualists, mystical thinkers, um, most in touch with truth. And truth also that you can tell the symptoms of someone who's in touch with truth because they're interested in healing. They're not mm. just interested in being right or knowing. They're interested in reconciling, you know, in, in healing and causing the benefit of others. And so I, I really respect, if he says something, I'm going to think about it carefully before I'm just like, eh, I don't think so. It's like, hmm. he's, what's he talking about? It's, it's, I'm, I mean, I love that you shared this quote and that we're talking about it because I feel like I'm learning a lot just by, you know, I just recited this, you know, something I had read before, but even as it's coming out of my mouth and as you reflect on it afterwards, hmm. it's many new things are coming and things I never thought about before. And, um, you know, so I take it that, the spirit of Jung is sitting with us and happy that we're having this conversation and you know, he's still involved. Mm. You know, the good people, the great ones who care about the future, they never leave us, you know? Yeah. So we have many, many invisible friends that want us to get through our troubled adolescence as a Western collective. Mm. So I think that's what he's talking about is um, the troubled adolescence mm. because yeah, it's um, what's, there's a wound it's not just that Western people are wicked, you know, or like the white man is the cancer of the earth. Mm. You know, maybe thousands and thousands of years ago, um, other cultures that are more established in their sacred ways and ancestral wisdom now, maybe they went through their own um, difficult adolescences, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I can't, it's really hard for me to imagine that um, European culture alone is like suddenly new and all other ancestral cultures were always there. Yes. You know, but maybe we're just like the late bloomers. Mm. And um, yeah, it's very complex to speak about humanity in general as a diverse family in a collective process. And then zoom in on this like Western group. He's specifically speaking about Western soil. So that's what we're talking about. And I think mm. the, the soil, you know, with this example of cutting off from the tradition coming down through Parmenides, you know, to, to satisfy I mean, that's, that's what I want to say about Socrates and Plato, and this might really upset some people, but this is Kingsley's argument anyway, is that mm -hmm. um, to be part of, to be on the payroll of that 1% of Athens, the great philosophers kind of sold out. And they mm -hmm. started to um, bend, started to speak according to the whims of the rich so that they could get the crumbs from the table. And so mm -hmm. they started taking apart their own ancestral wisdom, like they started arguing with Parmenides and like created with their intellectual gifts arguments that, um, you know, undermined the wisdom of reconciliation of heaven and earth, of masculine and feminine. And it just became masculine democracy, humans ruling and colonizing. And um, yeah, I think that what Jung is saying about why yoga, particularly it's interesting that what he meant by yoga was probably not just Hatha yoga. He's talking about Indian mysticism. Exactly. And yoga, it means literally reconciliation, like linking together, which curiously, yeah. the word for reconcile, curiously, we might have talked about this in our last conversation, is shaman in Sanskrit. Shaman means reconcile. Mm. 
and until the time of this break from the original heaven and earth masculine and feminine mysticism of the West, until that break, like I said, they were it was basically a shamanic culture. The roots of Western um, wisdom is actually shamanism of their own cultural kind, Greek shamanism. But you know, it becomes a divorce. You divorce the records, the masculine and feminine, mommy and daddy, heaven and earth are cut apart. Um, you know, around the time of this Athenian aristocracy and the, the birth of the exploitative upper class. Um, and so it's very hard to practice yoga, reconciliation, in a soil, means also in your unconscious, in your roots, in your blood, in your DNA, you're born into a, a lineage and a culture that is fundamentally um, ashaman, a-yoga. It's like anti-yoga. It's born from the modern Western civilization, philosophically, is born from the division of masculine and feminine, which means yeah. it's at its roots, it is unhealthy, it is destructive, it is against life, you know, at its roots. Here Young is saying, like, the Western should f must first of all free itself from its barbarous one-sidedness. And exactly. yoga is just right. one-sidedness. Right. Yeah. This is barbarous. There's, yeah. It's barbarous. There's no reconciling. It's like, it's, it's so terrible. It's so brutish, you know? Like you mm -hmm. said, you're watching the Seaspiracy with Shamananda and it's just like, it breaks your heart. Like, how can people be so brutish? Yeah, I even cried at the end. It was terrible. Sure. I mean, we should be crying a lot if we're paying mm -hmm. attention to what's going on. It's really grievous. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the danger is like, well, it looks like, well, then maybe we really should be humble enough as a culture or at least as an individual born in the West. Maybe it's a, a sign of humility that I'm like, yeah, I don't think that this capitalist dream is the all in all. Maybe I can be humble enough to think that the, the brown people of India or like, you know, someone outside of my cultural, uh, you know, paradigm might be smarter and might be wiser and might be able to help me, if not help save my culture, save my own psyche and my life. Maybe that's a humble thing, you know. Um, but Jung is saying it's not going to work. I mean, that's at least this is one clip of, you know, a conversation that he probably had for years and years and years. It has mm -hmm. many facets, but he's saying it's not going to work. What is his point about someone who's in a barbarous, one-sided, um, fractured, wounded situation? Why wouldn't it be favorable for them to take shelter of holistic yoga unity? Mm -hmm. Why would that not be exactly what the Western mind needs? And I think what he's saying is, speaking to the maturity level of Western culture, was like, yeah, this is just going to actually exacerbate your internal division because now uh, you're identified with this one-sided thing and then that's not you, you know? You're like the real being, the self is inside, but you're identified with a fractured psyche that's one-sided. You know, how to get mine, this egocentric, not the mothering, like feeding of life, just the consuming side. You're just one-sided. You actually identify with that and you haven't reconciled that thing. So your tendency as a colonist is to pave over, you know, to like cover up other things, you know, cover up the indigenous cultures with uh, your churches and, and your systems of government and your property rights and just pave over the whole world, if you could, with your own little you know, egocentric uh, view. Yeah. And you're going to do the same, if that's the, the function that's going on inside of you, you will do the same thing to yourself. You will just pave over that you're a colonist. You will colonize yourself with 
Indian mysticism. Instead of actually uh, milking the science, like effectually, successfully milking the science of yoga and reconciling yourself to wholeness, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to do that because you have this Western wound that makes you a one-sided barbarous uh, colonist mm-hmm. internally, and you're probably just going to colonize yourself with this new thing that you identify with. Well, now I'm a yogi. I'm either going to grow my dreadlocks or I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm just going to start, I'll get this like special earring in one ear for the guys. And, you know, there's all these things that I need to start dressing up and covering over. I'm going to get these loose flowing pants and I'm going to talk a different way. And, you know, I'm going to basically, instead of dealing with the, the mess of the wound that I have inherited, which is a big wound, it's not just like me and my childhood traumas. It's, you know, condensed generations and generations and generations and generations and generations, hundreds of years, a thousand years of um, sickness, <laughs> uh, you know, re, uh, just, I forget the word. It's like compounding, compounding mm-hmm. upon compounding upon compounding until it's like so egocentric that you think it's all about you and like your experience with your father as a child. And it's like, that's the smallest thing that you're actually dealing with. Yeah. You know, and that's the farthest you've got away from like the feminine side of caring about the collective and the symbiotic wholeness of life. You're so far away from that mother's view that it's all about you and your trauma and your journey of healing. And it's like, oof. Mm-hmm. And then you're just going to go to like probably Advaita Vedanta so that you can be God. Like, well, there's my reckon my, to escape this very difficult reality of a mm-hmm. fractured uh, one sidedness. I'm going to pave it over with um a mask of yoga that suddenly I'm a very peaceful, reconciled yogi. And if I go really far, I'm going to go all the way just to absolute oneness, not one-sided anymore. There's no duality because uh, Shiva hum, I am Shiva, hum brahmasmi, I am God. I mean, that's, people are just like, you know, like lemmings running off the cliff. You know, you heard, they just like mass suicide. It's like, that I think is what Jung is saying. It's like, the Western collective psyche is in a troubled adolescence right now. And adolescents are often like so emotionally perturbed that they cut themselves, you know, they go to drugs and there's often there's suicide and there's like serious depression. And I think that the collective Western being as a collective mind Mm -hmm. is in a very troubled adolescence and is suicidal, um, is addicted to drugs and self harm and lashing out at mommy and daddy, you know, I, you know, there's like, you need to be an atheist now if you're a, if you're a progressive thinker, contemporary thinker, you're lashing out at daddy. And, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, capitalism is like, yeah, I want to be a good person. I want to recycle, but I'm going to create my own business. And your own business is still producing tons and tons and tons of garbage and tons of petroleum. Mm-hmm. And like, people can justify like rejecting the, the higher, what's higher than you. God and nature are higher than you. You should follow them. But mm-hmm. They just justify it because it's like the adolescent who's in the house, like, I don't listen to you. I'm my own person. But it's like, yeah, "Yeah, but you're living in my house and you're eating my food and you have no job and you depend for your life on me. And it's not very impressive. You're like loud affirmation of your individuality when you're Mm -hmm. totally dependent. It's like super hypocritical, but the parents tolerate it because what? You're immature. You're a crazy teenager. And I think Jung is saying like Western culture is like, psycho-emotionally in an extremely volatile state of adolescent turbulence Mm -hmm. and is self-harm and it's not really going to help to pretend that's not going on and put on a mask of suddenly being shanti shanti um yeah i think that's what he's saying not that yoga itself is 
inaccessible, but I think for him, I think he gets it. And I think he's yeah. speaking from the perspective of a yogi. Exactly. So he's not excluding all people in the West, yeah. but he's speaking to the collective mind. It's like, yeah. we are not able to digest this because at this point we would just be escaping our own serious issues mm. and the real dirty work of our healing. And one last question now. Do you think that now the West is producing its own yoga right now? Is this what is happening now? Because now everyone somehow at least heard about yoga, but so many people are doing yoga. What do you think about it? Well, just to follow Jung's thought, you know, mm. his, like we said in the beginning, his whole uh, vision of human purpose is individuation. Mm. And the there's a thesis of who you are is like the daylight ego who you look at yourself in the mirror, who you want to see yourself as. I'm a good person, who you want others to see you as. This is like the thesis of who I am, who you show others, and who, like, even when you're alone in your mind, you're trying to be because you feel like you should be. It's not really necessarily who you are. It's who you feel like you should be. Yeah. So that's the thesis. And then all the parts of you, the feelings and memories and dreams and occurrences and incongruities that don't match your proposal of who you are, you have no choice but to repress them. If you identify with the proposal, it's one-sided. You know, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. It's the ego, daylight ego is one-sided and all the other stuff, the other content that doesn't match that becomes the shadow and it's repressed. And that's the antithesis. Well, I'm a good person and I care about the environment and I, I'm spiritual and I'm compassionate and you know, all the things that I think I should be. I'm independent and I'm successful and I have integrity and all these things and all the millions of things that are going on in me that have happened that are stay with me like memories um, or that are still going on or that I have tendencies to do in the future, all of that that doesn't match my like goody, my good picture of myself, that becomes the antithesis. I propose that I'm this and then your psyche says, and, but what about this? Antithesis, shadow. And Jung says the only way that you can individuate and be a real individual is if you can sit down and have the thesis and the antithesis look at each other face to face and have a conversation. If they remain split apart where one denies the other, no. The thesis, the good ego denies the shadow. Nope, nope, I'm a good person. But the shadow in reaction, sometimes it comes bursting out like this gargoylean. You just suddenly fall down into lower tendencies or you binge or these other tendencies they cannot it's like pushing down a spring you're just giving it more charge to boing and come right back out so the more that you repress it's like fracking you know this fracking we have in america this horrible thing called fracking where they just like jet so much pressure deep into cracks in the earth that it basically explodes underneath and all this stuff garbage poisonous toxic black you know oil and you know gases and all this stuff just <laughs> comes out from jamming down the pressure it makes it explode and you know hemorrhage the earth hemorrhages and all this garbage comes out That's and they try horrible. to like yeah <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> fracking and that's what everybody who hasn't gone through what jung is talking about the human rites of passage if you haven't become through the mystic sacred process that every sacred tradition every ancestral tradition in the world is doing only one thing and it's like walking the human being through the process of true becoming and the western psyche hasn't learned that yet so we're you know fracking and the the unintegrated person i'm not saying all eastern people have gone through this process either because now it's all 
kitchery hodgepodge every the west has infected and yeah. this not just west but this cancerous thing it's not about west or east it's about a sick relation with life wherever it comes from it's bad for everybody yeah but absolutely. this shadow will come out like the fracking you know the more you repress the more with more pressure it's going to come out and you're going to like you know freak out one day and do some violence or some addiction or some mm-hmm. you know degradation so the antithesis also speaks you know the thesis is like how you try to hold it together in the daylight and then the antithesis sometimes is going to speak in your like incongruent fall downs and if those two things, you know, they override each other, you know, when you're super angry, for example, when the shadow just loses control, you're like, I'm trying to be patient, I'm trying to be a good person, but your pride that you're pretending like you don't have this enormous pride, mm-hmm. when that pride is just too much rubbed, then this rage comes out, you know, what you really feel, the pride of how important you are comes out like a rage. And that antithesis of the shadow, when it comes out, completely denies the goodness of you. It doesn't care about your yogi values. It doesn't care about your like liberal you know or conservative it doesn't care about your value system of the daylight ego it's just so the ego and the shadow take turns colonizing each other like paving over each other and they're they're at war yeah you know they're at war with each other and war is born out of that and jung is saying the only way that that you can stop that is if instead of one just trying to talk over the other they can sit down and listen to each other Hmm. if you could go through he did this process of internal meditation a very shamanic process that he would walk also his his clients the people he was healing into a process of going awake consciously into the unconscious and seeing face to face the different archetypes and things that are there you know consciously facing the unconscious that creates a bridge just like when mommy and daddy come together the the seed and the egg the sperm and the ovum they connect just one tiny little connection one time sets off a process of creating a new Mm. being and that's where synthesis comes if the thesis and the antithesis can actually touch respectfully Mm -hmm. synthesis will come and the process of individuation integrating all the diverse parts of you the yoga the real yoga of becoming a whole person will come out and if that if the west is doing creating their own yoga yet i collectively no i think we're still in the war stage we're in a very dangerous mm. suicidal self-destructive disturbed adolescent traumatized you know <laughs> born into a traumatic family basically yeah. if the soul has taken birth in this western culture barbarous one-sided culture you have family trauma you've been born into a sick family yeah. and you have inherited it and that can make a person suicidal uh, drug addicted uh, severely depressed um dangerously uh narcissistic you know it's all in unavoidable knee-jerk reaction to the pain that you've inherited by being born into a family that's compounded generations of extreme pain um that comes from the heart of the mother you know back at the time of parmenides after that they cut off from the mother who loves us the heart of davy of grace of wisdom and she's Mm -hmm. crying for her baby and inside our hearts since our body is born from her and our wisdom is from her. The deepest part of our psyche is crying for mother. And yet we're in reaction like, I hate you, mom. Like <laughs> <laughs> trying to destroy, I don't know yeah. what. We're just Since crazy. Since you talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> we're just crazy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we need yoga, but I but don't know. we have to learn how to get into yoga. And maybe we need some, the Western collective as a being, adolescent disturbed being, maybe needs to make some friends with Eastern yoga, with indigenous yoga, you know, with older
other schools, like cultures that have lasted for a long time, they did that not just because they knew how to farm or how to hunt. It's because they knew how to be. And the Western culture doesn't know how to be. And so it's yeah. freaking out. It doesn't know how to maintain itself. You know, it hates itself. It's like it's in war, thesis versus antithesis. And maybe those older cultures that have made it to synthesis, instead of like in our barbarous one-sidedness, you know, and, you know, rebelling, we're so proud as in our adolescence that we can't listen to anyone else. Maybe mm -hmm. to save our life, we should actually be humble enough as a culture. I mean, it's just a pipe dream. I can't yeah. imagine the Western culture bowing its head collectively to anyone but the mirror. But yeah. some people need to make it, you know. There is going to be great, like an adolescent passes through many, I was a punk rocker, I was kind of like a goth, I was kind of, you know, a hippie. I went through so many, I molted like a chameleon, so many things in my mm -hmm. middle adolescence. Many things I went through and they died. Huge things that I identified with died and maybe yeah. a lot of Western culture will die in this process. And those of us who can actually start to wisely and maturely take on the work of yoga, of healing and reconciliation without putting a mask of yoga to hide from the wound, but face it and be part of the solution. Maybe us and our children and our successors will be the part of the adolescent being that survives. Hmm. And the rest of it has to die. Yeah, this is very much also about what we talked last time, the spiritual bypassing. Yeah. So I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I think it's also, it will be super helpful for whoever is going into yoga right now because it's so important to learn. First of all, we know we are not speaking only about asanas and position and this and that, like the reason behind and what is really yoga it's the most important thing otherwise we are just wearing masks and uh, we don't get anywhere yeah. so thank you very very much for this conversation mm. and um, I will for sure invite you again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's becoming a conversation you know it for me it's yeah. it's been two months or something since we spoke last but it's exactly where we were before you know it's yeah yeah that's so interesting because I mean, probably it came to my mind somehow unconsciously for that reason, but it was not meant to be. But it's really a continuation of what we talked last time. Well, and I think it's because we are doing enough yoga that we are united with the collective human process. And this is mm. the conversation. There's no real other Beautiful. conversation for a, a very sick, dangerous, mortally uh, threatened person mm. than healing. You know, and becoming. For someone who's lost, they need to be found. For someone who's dying, they need to be saved if they can. Yeah. For someone who's questing, they need to discover. And yeah. so I think this conversation is, it's our conversation as a species. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope that this hour between you and I as two tiny little souls, <laughs> that this also can feed something in our brothers and sisters who are also part of this yeah. conversation. You know, I give my respect, my pranam to anyone who listens to these things and and feels himself part yeah. of this conversation because we're in it together that's what yoga Absolutely. is also is that we do it together yeah sharing so thank you oh thank you i hope this episode fulfills its purpose of inspiring you if you like it feel free to share it give a review or a rating subscribe and if you have any questions please get in touch at aikoyogareiki.com Namaste.